It is a blessing and privilege to be here with you this morning. Maybe not here, but in this building with you. Uh, God bless you as we worship here together. Suppose, and those of you that know me know that I was tempted to do this, but suppose this morning we would have 12 men. They're coming up the aisle here now, let's imagine, and they're carrying stones. And they would bring them up here and stack them up and probably every one of us would be saying or thinking, what are those for? What does that mean? That's an odd thing to have in a worship service. I was tempted to do this and I decided not to, but we'll have to imagine these stones up here, this pile of stones. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 3. For a morning message, you probably know the story I'm thinking about and we're going to look at. Book of Joshua, chapter 3. Joshua, the book of Joshua is an exciting book. Lots of things happening. Uh, the, the Israelites are coming into the promised land. Uh, the writing here is, is very interesting, the story. We want to pick up the story at uh, Joshua, chapter 3, verse 14. And we're going, to, going into chapter 4, verse 9. Joshua chapter 3, verse 14. And it came to pass when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan, and the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as they bear the ark were come, as they that bear the ark were coming to Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped into the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of harvest, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far from the city Adam, that is, besides Zaratan. And those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, failed and were cut off, and the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all, all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. Chapter 4. And it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over Jordan that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, one out of every tribe a man, and command them, and saying, Take ye hence out of the midst of the Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones, and ye shall carry them over with you and lead them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel out of every tribe a man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God unto all the midst of the Jordan and take you up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. That this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them, that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan, and the waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan. As the Lord spake unto Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them unto the place where they are lodged, and laid them down there. 
And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests which bear the ark of the covenant stood, and there they are to this day. Stop reading there. There's a lot of Yoders here this morning, or connections to Yoders, and I don't want to lift up the Yoder name as something special. Every name is unique. More important than what your last name is, is whether your name is in the book of life. And by request this morning, I'm going to do something I've never done before. As Rich mentioned, I'm going to attempt to preach a sermon my dad preached many years ago using his notes. And I'm not able to do this word for word. Uh, Dad thought and preached very differently than I. And as I look at his notes, there's a whole row of them on his shelf. And as I look at those notes, I quickly discover that he must have had a lot of notes in his head. It's, he had an ability that I don't have to be able to do that, more than I'm capable of. But today I'm using my dad's sermon notes in part. And this is not an easy thing for me to do. But maybe it'll mean something for some of you at least. I've said this many times, I suppose, but my dad was not a large man but he had big shoes. And as I put my little feet in his shoes, there's a lot of room there. So thank you for, for your prayers. Uh, Dad would not want to be eulogized or somehow lifted up as a great prophet or a great preacher, even though many of us, probably most of us, have been greatly impacted by his life and his preaching. So my purpose here this morning is not to lift up the name of a man, even though he was a good man. But by using his notes this morning, it's a unique opportunity to, in fact, illustrate what this story is really about. Passing on what God has done, uh, not only for our own remembrance, but for the generations to come. Telling our story, how God has moved and worked, if you will. Now, I don't know if Dad preached this message more than once. He probably did. He was a master at going back to his notes and and other things coming out of them than what was originally there. But the sermon notes that Mama found from this passage of Scripture is dated February 13, 1966. That's over 50 years ago. I would have been not quite five months old. When he preached this message, I'm telling you how old I am, I guess. But even though Dad and I are very different preachers in style and technique and so on, the Word of God is the same. It applies to us in the same way, whether it's 1966 or 2017. Sermon title is, of course, taken from chapter 4, verse, the last part of verse 6. What mean ye by these stones? And it's a question. It's a question that the children of Israel, especially the generations following those that experienced this, would hopefully ask, what happened that day? What did God do? What did mom and dad or grandpa and grandma or uncle and aunt 
What did they experience? What did God do for them? How did God work that day in our ancestors' lives? And not only that, how can my ancestors' story, what God had did for them, how can I apply those truths to my life today? And beyond that, how can I pass those values, those truths to the next generation? You know as well as I do, we live in a changing world. About the time it seems like we get accustomed to something, something new, it becomes obsolete. Because something else is newer, it's better, it's faster, it's more efficient, and, and so on. And we can forget how in generations past that people accomplished things. Probably another period of time in history has seen so many changes. And I won't go into all those details, you know what I'm talking about. Some of those changes are good, and some of them are not so good. It changes the way we live, it changes the way we think and do things, and changes the way we relate to each other. And today we have access to so many things that gener in generations past they could only guess at and dream of. One of the interesting things about the human race is that we have a pretty poor record, track record when it comes to learning from the past in many ways. It seems like each generation has their weaknesses and inconsistencies. The following generation comes along and they see that and we're not going to do life that way. We're going to do things differently. And maybe they do, but they also have inconsistencies and weaknesses. And maybe they make the same mistakes that mom and dad did just in a new way or different way. So we have the tendency as, as humans to repeat mistakes, unfortunately. And so as we think about this story here in the book of Joshua, uh, two questions for us to, to ponder. Number one, what do we learn from past generations? Did they have good things to teach us? And number two, Am I, are you, passing on to the next generation the worthwhile things that will help them on a path, walking that path with God? So think about those two challenges, those two questions as we look at this story in the book of Joshua. God has given us a wealth of learnable lessons. And a lot of those learnable lessons are in the past in stories and so on. We can look back and learn how we can live better today. One of our problems as humans is that we forget. We forget. And so that's one of the challenges this morning is to remember. Remember. And as I said, another challenge is to apply what we have learned to our lives in practical ways and then to pass on those lessons following generation. We look at the question, last part of verse 6 in chapter 4, what mean ye by these stones? And then here is what they were to do, verse 7. Then shall ye answer them. There should be an answer, right? 
There should be an answer. And they give the story there of what the Lord did in enabling the Israelites to pass over on dry, dry land. God did a miracle here when the feet of the priests got wet. The water stopped flowing. And I don't know how to explain that. Verse 13 of chapter 3, in the middle of the verse there, it says, The Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of Jordan. I wonder what that means. I'd like to imagine the hand of God stopping the Jordan. I don't know how that happened. But however God chose to do it, it was a miracle that Israel was to remember and God told Joshua to choose 12 men, one from each tribe, and they were to pick up these stones from the bottom of the river and carry those stones to their next camping place. And they were to set those up as a, something to remind them what God had done. I don't think I'll take time to read all, all these different scriptures if you're taking notes, I'll give you the, the reference for you to, to read it later. But this is not the only instance in the book of Joshua where there are stones, okay? Joshua have, has this thing with stones. We know, notice it at least six different times. But do notice with me in chapter 4, verse 9, Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of Jordan. So evidently, as these 12 men were carrying stones out of the Jordan, Joshua was there in the midst of Jordan, the bottom of the river, and he set up 12 stones evidently. While the waters were piling up on the other side of God's hand. What do these stones mean? They have a message. These stones cry out, God was at work. Look at what God has done. He made a way where there was no way. And don't we need times like that? We, we, we don't know the way out of our situation. God does. God is able. Remember it. Don't forget it. Pass it on to your children, your great-grandchildren, and so on. God is faithful and will never fail. So here we have these two piles of stones, one in the middle of Jordan and one at their camp at Gilgal. The Bible says they camped at Gilgal. There's another pile of stones, Joshua chapter 7, verse 26. We won't read it. That's the story of Achan. You remember that story, how he, this man took things out of Jericho that he was, God had specifically said they were not to take. He took them, he coveted, he stole, and he was severely punished. Him and his family were stoned. Achan thought he could hide it under his tent, but instead there was judgment. And the Bible says there, there was a large pile of stones for all to see. That pile of stones had a message too.
Maybe it was there for many years. At least it was mentioned a number of times in Scripture. Remember what happened to Achan. My sin affects those around me, and even my, especially my family. Well, we're not done with stones yet. Joshua 8, verse 29. I'll not read that. Joshua 8, 29. It's a gruesome story. Uh, this is the story of Ai, and Joshua was responsible to carry out judgment on these people. And they, they had trouble taking the city, but they did. They had trouble because of Achan's sin, actually. But they took the city. They totally destroyed everything. And the Bible says that, there was, that they piled a pile of stones there to mark the spot. If that pile of stones could speak, what would its message be? Well, my thought here would be that the, the story of these stones was, is that God gives complete victory to when we obey Him completely. And when we deal thoroughly with the sin in our lives. Well, we have more stones in the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 10, verse 27. Again, we won't read that. This is a story of the five enemy kings that banded together against Israel. God gave the victory. Those kings went and hid in that cave. You remember that story. And there was judgment on these kings. It also says in chapter 10 there that God sent hailstones that killed more enemy than Israel did. It also mentions in chapter 10 there that the, this is the occasion where the Bible describes it as a sun standing still. And these, these five kings hid in a cave and God judged them. And the Bible says there that Joshua ordered great stones rolled against the entrance to mark that spot. Another lesson. Another story, something to learn and to remember. There is victory with God. No matter how impossible it seems, in spite of five kings with their armies, they're no match for God in a handful of faithful followers. We find another pile of stones in Joshua 22, verses 9 and 10. Again, we won't read that. But that's the story of when Israel has, is settling in the land. They're done with their battles, for the most part at least. And Joshua sent the tribes, the soldiers of the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh back to their homeland. Remember the story how uh, they wanted the land on the other side of Jordan. And Joshua said, that's fine. You, soldier, you, you send your soldiers along with us, help us fight our battles. And when you're done with uh, conquering the land, then you can go home. So Joshua was sending these men home. And on their way home, they built an altar there by the Jordan River. The Bible says a great altar. Israel found out about this altar being built, and they're not happy. They see this as altar as evidence of these people are departing from God. As they're returning home, they have to cross the Jordan to get back to their, where their inheritance was. 
they're already falling away from God with, with this altar. And so they send a priest and 10 princes, I believe the Bible says, to check things out. They reminded these men of the story of Achan and how it affected all of Israel. But that was not what these men had in mind to, to go away from God to worship idols and so on. It says in verses 26 and verse 27 that they built this altar as a reminder that even though the Jordan River flowed between them and the rest of Israel, they still were a part of Israel. This all, it specifically says in Scripture there that this altar was not for worship. This altar was meant to be a reminder. So they explained their intentions to Israel, and Israel's relieved. Uh, chapter 22, verses 33 and 34, they, the altar's named Ed. Didn't know that name was in the Bible, but there it is. Ed. It was to remind them of the importance of connections between the people of God. There's another pile of stones with a message, with a story, with a reminder. To remind them of a, to be faithful to God and not to turn aside to other gods. There's some good lessons here for us. Finally, one more stone. This is singular this time, a single stone in Joshua chapter 24. Again, we won't look at that. Verse 15 is when uh, Joshua give those famous words that we all remember him by. Choose who you're going to serve. Incredible challenge that Joshua gives the children of Israel. And as he challenged Israel, Israel responds, yes, we want to follow the Lord. And so Joshua put up a big stone there. And this is where they made a recommitment to serving God. And this stone was meant to be a reminder for them of the covenant they had with God. And so I'll say all of that to say this. There's these six piles of stone. One of them is just a single stone. Each has a story to tell, a lesson to learn, something to remember. We have the pile of stones in the bottom of the Jordan that Joshua set up. We have those 12 stones that those men uh, carried to Gilgal and they set them up to remind them of God can make a way where there is no way. We have the pile of stones over Achan. What a story that is and a reminder. We have a pile of stones over the five enemy kings whom Israel defeated because of God's intervention. Fifthly, we have the pile of stones they called Ed to remind Israel of the connection of, that the two and a half tribes had on the other side of Jordan with the rest of Israel in spite of the river separating them. And finally, we have the large stone set in Shechem to remind Israel of their renewed covenant with God. So here we have these different stones, different places in Israel. Why these stones? I think the simple answer is that God wanted some reminders so that Israel would not forget. 
Each story, as I said, had a, each stones, each pile of stones has a story to tell of what God has done. Joshua chapter 4, verse 24 says, For the Lord, I'm sorry, wrong verse here. Verse 24, that all the people, here's the purpose for the stones, that all the people of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that ye may fear the Lord your God forever. Israel here is entering a time of success, prosperous, wealth. They inherited many things that they did not work for. You think about all the things that they had been through, you know, bondage in Egypt, the long journey across the desert for all those years, all the way to the promised land. There were some wars there, but now they're settling into the land. Life is good. This is the promise of God to Abraham 500 years earlier. God never forgets his promise to his people, does he? Even though there's 500 years that, that has happened here, God doesn't forget his promise. But we as humans forget. We tend to. And I think that's one of the main lessons in the book of Joshua. Moses stressed the problem of forgetfulness to them. Won't turn to these scriptures either, but uh, Deuteronomy 4 verse 9 is an example. Deuteronomy 6 verses 10 to 12. Moses stressing the importance of remembering what God had done. Lest you go into the land where things are easy, life is good, and you forget. So what happened? They forgot, didn't they? They forgot. In spite of these piles of stones... In spite of the stories, they forgot. You know, it's amazing to me how easily we forget. I can't help but think of a completely different story, thinking of the priest Eli and his sons. Here we have these sons surrounded by the reminders of God. And yet we, we see their lives and they must have forgotten. They were surrounded by reminders, and yet they forgot. Well, I'm one of the sons of Eli as well, a different one, thankfully. But I can forget so easily. Even though I'm surrounded, immersed almost, in reminders of God, God's goodness. Turn with me to the next book of Judges. The story of the Israel just goes right into this uh, uh, these, these accounts here. I won't read a lot of scriptures, but uh, Judges chapter 2, verse 17. <clears throat> Judges two, 2, verse, I'm sorry, verse 7. Judges 2, verse 7. We're just thinking about remembering and forgetting, right? And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the day, days of the elders that outlived Joshua who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he had did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old, and they buried him in the border of his, of his inheritance. Verse 10, it talks about uh, the generations 
the generation, uh, Joshua's generations gathered unto their fathers. There rose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works that he had done for Israel. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. One generation they forgot. And we can be critical. I can be critical of these people. But I can forget too. One generation was all it took to forget what Joshua had done for Israel. One generation was all it took to forget what God had done for Israel and begin serving idols. And folks, today it only takes one generation to forget what our ancestors stood for, to forget what God had done for them and what God has done for us, for you and I. It's amazing how quickly not only can the story get lost, but the principles and the change of heart can be forgotten. The first part of chapter 2 here in the book of Judges is where the angel of the Lord came and he rebuked Israel. Last part of verse 4. All the people lifted up their voice and wept. And weeping is a good thing when there's repentance. But evidently nothing changed. Rather than turning to God, evidently they chose to live with their past decisions and mistakes. No longer could they stand before their enemies. And the, the book of Judges there's a lot of, uh, of, of stories of Israel's oppression. They no longer were a strong nation. No longer were they the nation that everybody was afraid of. No longer did God send the hornet ahead of them or send hailstones to the battle. Why? Because they forgot. And this morning, as I think about and I speak about forgetting, I'm not talking about absent-mindedness. We all forget names. We forget the grocery list or we forget the mail, all those things. We're human. And we all do lots of things to help us remember. We make lists. We write things down. We memorize. We leave reminders for us to find later so we'll be reminded of what we were supposed to remember. I'm, I'm such a creature of habit. For example, there's many, many times at work, on the way home from work, I need to stop up and pick up some groceries. And if I'm not careful, I'll forget. So I'm such a creature of habit, I take my pickup keys out of this pocket and I put it in this one. So that when I leave work, I'm like, where's my keys? Oh yeah, it's in this pocket. There's a reason for that. You know what I mean? We all do those things. We write notes to help us remember we're human. But absent-minded forgetfulness is not necessarily, I don't think, what we're talking about this morning. This forgetfulness that we're talking about here in, in Scripture is a forgetfulness that involves a willful forsaking. A willful forsaking. It's a choice. 
It's a deliberate turning away from what I know is truth. It's no longer following the path that God has chosen, but inventing my own. And so this forgetting we're thinking about this morning is not so much the inability to bring up a memory of truth, but it's, it's a turning away from, a forsaking. This kind of forgetting brings a lot of problems. Quickly turning to the book of, uh, of Psalm 106, just a few verses here, not spending any time here, but just a few things. Uh, Psalm 106, verse 7, this is what the writer says. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. Verse 13, they soon forget his works. They waited not for his counsel. Verses 20 to 23, thus they changed their glory into the similitude of an ox that eateth grass. They forgot the God their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt. Wondrous works in the land of Ham and terrible things by the Red Sea. Therefore he said that he would destroy them had not Moses his chosen stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath lest he should destroy them. And so on. This, is, this kind of forgetting brings lots of problems. This kind of forgetting takes us away from God. Often it is a deliberate act of the will or at least is, is a deliberate um, ignoring of what we know is truth. This type of forgetting leads to unbelief and finally rebellion. Forgetting causes us to do foolish things and causes us to eventually self-destruct. Forgetting causes us to be unthankful. Forgetting stops our ears to the voice of God. And instead we begin to believe lies. Forgetting makes us complacent and unaware of the danger we are in. And with that comes a false sense of security. And often with forgetfulness comes selfishness and pride. Forgetting causes us to love other things more than God. And that is idolatry. It just is. These are things, all things that happened to Israel. And brothers, sisters, family, this will happen to us if we forget. It's interesting how forgetful we as humans are. When our hands are full of good things, it's easy to forget the lessons that we learned when our hands were empty. Did you understand that? When our hands are full of good things, it's easy to forget the lessons we learned when our hands were empty. We tend to get lazy, or I tend to get lazy, complacent, unthankful, and I begin to be self-sufficient, and we forget. And we turn away, we can turn away from what we know that is true. And the sad part about it is, this tendency of ours, 
we teach the next generation to follow us, to do the same. Maybe we don't mean to. That was not our intention. But by our example, in the lives that we live, we can teach that God really doesn't mean what he says. It's not a big deal to walk away from God's truth. And you know as well as I do that remembering God is much more than knowing facts about him. But remembering involves applying what we know to be truth to our lives and, and living it. Living it out in practical ways this morning. I hope you understand what I'm, what I'm trying to say this morning. That forgetting God is a really, really, really bad idea. Teaching the next generation by our example that it's okay to forget God is a really, really bad idea. Now, I just gave you a number of, of, of things that happen when we forget and turn away from God. Let's not forget, yes, let's not forget, that when we remember to follow God, there's a long list of blessings. You look at Scripture, it's full of blessings from God when we remember and follow Him. Promises to those that remember. The importance of, of remembering is not just an Old Testament teaching. This is where we're at this morning. But it's in the New Testament. In fact, Jesus said, do this. What did He say? In remembrance of Me. There's other examples in Scripture where God wanted His people to remember the rainbow that Noah seen. Remember God's promise. I'm sure Noah thought about that. Psalm 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against Thee, inferring that we are to remember. So yes, Israel had many reminders to help them not to forget. You look at the story of the tabernacle and the priests and, and the Passover and all these things God did. Part of the reason was is to help Israel remember. So why do we forget so easily? Why is there a willful forsaking? I suppose there could be many reasons. Here's just some of the ones I thought of. Thought of is one of them being that our sneaky flesh, our old man, wants to forget. Because the old man wants to rule and live and, and not be crucified. So it's pretty convenient to forget. We forget because many of us live lives, lives of ease and luxury can breed forgetfulness. We forget because the devil brings many distractions pull our attention away from truth and we begin to listen to wrong voices. We forget because we tend to be very busy with the temporal things of life. Me too. And we can be very busy with the temporal things of life at the expense of the eternal things. We forget because the temporal things we pursue steal our first love. That should be for God alone. We tend to forget because we allow the things we know that we are to remember about God 
We allow them <clears throat> to become a bunch of facts, head knowledge. Nothing wrong with head knowledge. We need to know. But that needs to be lived, applied to our lives in practical ways. We forget because remembering is hard. It's much easier to drift. We forget because remembering God demands honesty. God has a call in my life. God has a call in your life. What am I doing about it? You know, I'm not sure why it is that as humans, subconsciously, I suppose, but we can have um, attitudes like, you know, if I don't think about it, somehow it's going to go away. I've done that. But when we remember God, remember His truth, remember what He's done in the past, remember His call in my life, that demands honesty because there's a right response to that connection with Him. I would just challenge us this morning to <clears throat> take time to reflect, take time to remember, to review. I know the Bible teaches that there are things that we are to forget, like Paul wrote about, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, pressing toward the, toward the mark, and so on. But there are also things we are to remember. Take time to think back in your life. Replay those stories, not only to yourself, but to your families, to your children. When God answered a prayer, it made a difference in your life. God did something for you. God brought this filthy sinner out of the mire. How did I get from there to here where I'm at today? That's a story, and it's much more than a story. It's a, it's, it's a relationship with, with God. Now, we can't live in the past, nor should we. But there's a lot we ought to remember, be reminded of. We need to remember our story, which is really God's story working through me. You and I are writing our story right now, and it's a continued story. We don't know how many chapters there are, how many pages. It's a continued story. Sometimes young people roll their eyes when older people tell their stories. Yeah, yeah, we've heard this before, Grandma. Yeah, yeah. But young people, you have a story too. It's shorter, shorter than grandma's, but you have a story too that is being written. What will that story be? What story will you be able to tell your grandchildren someday? Think about that. It's sort of like putting a pile of stones here. That, that pile of stones means something. It's a message. Whether we know it or not, you and I are, if you understand my illustration, we're making a pile of stones. We're leaving something there for the next generation to sort through and try to understand. That pile of stones is what we have built our life on. It's what we've believed. It's what we've lived. It's our purpose in life. Now we may camouflage our stones for a while. But God knows, and with eventually, my pile of stones will be revealed for what it is. God knows all about 
on my pile of stones even while I'm building it. And so one stone upon another. Does my little pile point to a faithful God who has met my need every single time when I turn to him? What an incredible challenge to think about. My life being a, uh, a story, that's not quite, that, that seems shallow. But you understand what I mean. For others to read and to learn from. I would hate for my pile of stones to be a deteriorating memorial of my selfishness and pride. Or a rusting and worthless pile of worldly riches. Even if the next generation doesn't understand my pile of stones, God will know when I meet him. So this makes this question really serious. What mean ye by your stones? The stones that Israel set up, what did they mean? Well, it was a reminder for them not to forget God and what God had done for them. It was to be a personal inspiration for them to remember. These stones were, be to, uh, were for a witness to the world what great things God had done. And these stones were to be a way of sharing faith with the next generation through telling the stories of what God had done. Israel did not cross the Jordan by themselves. God did something for them. These stones cry out, God did this. And those stones were intended to tell the story to the next generation. This weekend, there's a lot of us here thinking about family, how we're related to so-and-so, and who married who, and and who's cousins and all those kinds of things. And that's worth doing. We're remembering or learning about the stories of the past because back there somewhere, somebody made a decision that affects me. And I just challenge us, listen to this. With time, the descendant turns into the ancestor. Is that right? All it takes is time. You ever thought about that someday you will be the ancestor? That to me is scary in some ways. It's very serious. We all know that life is full of decisions and choices, and a lot of those things are not easy to do and to figure out. And it's very easy to make decisions based on convenience of today rather than a long-term uh, choice made on the long-term uh, consequences. The decision, your decision, my decision of today will take me somewhere and will affect many people more than likely. That's the story of my pile of stones and yours. What does my pile of stones mean? After Joshua died, the Bible tells us that Israel forgot what, what God had done for them. 
And I wonder, why wasn't the story told to the next generation? Didn't the parents or grandparents tell that story? Why was it forgotten? Or didn't the next generation ask, you know, what does these stones mean? Tell us. What happened there? Going back to the book of Judges again, chapter 2 this time, I'm going to read verses 10 to 13. For we have heard, I'm sorry, I'm in Joshua, Judges, Judges 2 verses 10 to 13. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works that he had done for Israel. I read this before. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and so on, followed other gods. How did this happen? Wasn't that story of the crossing of the Jordan told? There's the stones. I don't know why the next generation forgot so quickly and they went straight into idol worship. But I, we get a hint from the verse 10. The middle of the verse says, There arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord. The word knew there has the idea of knowing from experience or to understand or to recognize, to acknowledge. In other words, I'm guessing that the next generation knew the story of the crossing of the Jordan, but they didn't know God. You see, the Hebrew people, I think, were a storytelling people. History was important to them. But somehow this new generation did not know the Lord. They knew the story, but they didn't know the Lord. They had not experienced God for themselves. Didn't understand. They didn't apply that truth that they should have to their personal lives. And that, to me, is just a real challenge for me, for us today. I can and I should appreciate the faith of my grandfather, Ben Yoder. I deeply appreciate the faith and the life of my dad, whose sermon notes I'm using here this morning. But unless that faith is lived in my own life, I will also fail to pass on that faith to the next generation. And unfortunately, idol worship is the next step. So yes, let's pass the stories of the past. But more importantly, let's pass faith. And pass it on by living it myself. Psalm 71. Just a few verses I'd like to read there. In closing. Psalm 71, I'd like to read verses 12 through 18. Psalm 71. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste for my help. Let them be confounded and consumed that were adversaries to my soul. Let them be co covered with the reproach and dishonor that seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will yet praise thee more and more. My mouth shall show forth thy righteousness and thy salvation all the day. For I know not the number thereof. Isn't that true? 
We don't know the number thereof. Verse 16, I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of thy righteousness, even of thine only. Talking about sharing our story, isn't it? Make mention. Verse 17, O God, thou hast taught me from my youth, and hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not, until I have showed thy strength unto this generation, and thy power to everyone that is to come. What a challenge. I don't know what happened to those piles of stone there in the land of Israel. Maybe some shepherd boy allowed his goats to play on the pile. Maybe some man disassembled those piles and used them in building his house. The purpose of those stones long forgotten. But God's story lives on. Unless Christ returns first, someday you and I will be gone. Maybe someday somebody will brush away the dust and the dirt and the cobwebs and the mold on my tombstone. And hmm, I wonder who Steve Yoder was. What was his experiences in life? My earthly story will be over and maybe even forgotten. But God's story lives on. And folks, you and I have the wonderful opportunity and privilege and responsibility to be a part of that story. I keep saying story and that sounds shallow to me. But you understand what I mean. God's plan, God's path. You know, it's not so important that we leave a stone memorial so the coming generations know, knew who we were. But it is important that we pass on faith to the next generation. It is important that God's story, the good news is passed on. God has never, ever, ever failed. Not even once. And men and women who truly surrendered their life to God are not failures either. But in contrast, the unsurrendered life always ends in failure. It makes it serious. So today, you and I have the choice of what kind of stones will define my life. What kind of memorial, if you want to call it that, we're going to build to the glory of God or to the glory of me? Do you have something to share with the next generation about God's faithfulness? If you're one of His, you sure do. What mean ye by these stones? Think about it. A closing verse. Psalm 145, verse 4. It says, One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare, declare thy mighty acts. What does your pile of stones mean? What is your story? I challenge you to make God's story your story and to pass faith on to the next generation. God bless you. I'll turn the time back over to Brother Rich.